2008, Malcolm Gladwell published a book called Outliers. An outlier is a person or thing situated or detached from the main body or system. His theory was that often these outliers have far more influence on what is happening in the main body or system than we realize. And often it can be a good thing. When it comes to leaders, those creative geniuses who are changing the world, uh, we often uh, pay too much attention to what they're like now without properly crediting where they're from, their culture, their family, their generation, and the specific events that affected their upbringing, which made them who they are today. Our lesson for Max is a very good example. If you've ever heard a sermon on Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, it probably talked about evangelism, baptism, cross or multicultural ministry, and the necessity of following the Holy Spirit into the wilderness when everybody else is going into the city. All of these things are true and proper, but when you pay a little attention to the outlierness of the eunuch, that's when the story gets interesting. In his first epistle, St. John said, I write these things so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. I've always loved that verse because it proves that St. John had a sense of humor, that he understood sarcasm. If anybody sins, really? I mean, come on. I used to tell people, you know, I went like seven hours without sinning, and then I woke up. Except one day I realized that I probably sinned somewhere in my dreams, and so I had to stop saying that. Now, the only reason that that didn't crush me, excepting that I was a sinner 24-7, 365, and even 366 during leap year, was because I have an advocate, Jesus, who chose to love me and forgive me, even though I'm a sinner 24-7. Once you get over trying to excuse, explain, point fingers, and deny this truth, it makes it a lot easier to live life. To understand Jesus is walking with you every step of the way, even when you're sinning, even when you're thinking about sinning, well, that allows you to live a life of grace. We often sidestep and dance around parts of the text that uh, we're uncomfortable with. Today, that would be Philip and um, him having anything to do with the Ethiopian eunuch. You see, he shouldn't have baptized him, and he definitely should not have allowed him to become any type of leader in the church, because Deuteronomy 23 is very clear. Eunuchs are not allowed in church. And yet, that's the exact point of this passage, which, by the way, takes us out of the law and into the beauty of the gospel. See, there are no insiders when it comes to church. There are only outliers who, by grace, are made insiders through the blood of Jesus. No one is in the church because they deserved it or earned it. You don't get into the church because of your parents, ethnicity, where you were born, your social status. The purpose of all those laws and commands and lists of no-nos in the Old Testament is not to create a list of things where we can tick off the boxes to prove that we're holy and therefore we deserve to be church people. They are actually a list of things that we shouldn't do, but because we're sinners, we're going to wind up doing which is why God had to send His Son to be our Savior. Our natural inclination is to divide the laws and commands into categories like bad, really bad, really, really bad, not too bad, and you know what, we don't think it's a sin anymore, but we're not allowed to change the Bible, so we just won't talk about it anymore. That just proves after thousands of years, we still don't get it. If you read the stories in the Gospels, almost every one is about Jesus taking an outlier, Someone who was intentionally put outside the church because of their ethnicity, their vocation, their physical disability, their past sins, their parentage, or their economic status. And Jesus invites them back inside the church. 
And because Jesus never did anything accidentally, as he invites people back into church, he breaks a few other rules, like healing people on the Sabbath, touching a dead body, attending parties with sinners, and forgiving sins, all of which were big no-nos of the day. Jesus didn't just invite outliers into the church. He himself became an outlier by working and moving outside the established norm in order to bring people back in to God's love. Back to the eunuch for a minute. There is a perfect reality, which is the life that God imagined for all of his people to live. Now, this is the reality that existed just before Eve and Adam ate that fruit in the garden. Now, the possibility of this perfect life evaporated instantly. Yeah, I, I know we're not even Adam, and I know we want to distance ourselves and say, you know what, we wouldn't have done that, but we would have, and we still do. We have neither the power or the ability to bring about this new reality or this old reality, depending on how you want to look at it, on our own, even though we keep trying. I mean, we've had thousands of years, and we're no closer now than we were back when King David or Moses was around. Every law and command you read in the Old Testament is pointing out how fractured and impossible that we have made our world. One of those fractures and impossibilities is that not everyone could or wanted to have children. Between things like infertility and becoming a eunuch, the original command of be fruitful and multiply was no longer universal. And this is where it gets tricky and why Deuteronomy 23 says eunuchs can't be part of the church or even part of the community. Anytime a command of God is ignored, violated, or humanly impossible, it's a sin. Religious communities are very good at dividing these sins into acceptable and unacceptable zones. Initially, it's a division of grace and mercy. You know what? This wasn't your fault, so we're not going to hold it against you, so you can still be part of the church and you can still be part of the community. But within every system is both the ability and the eventual temptation to use such power against those who disagree with you. Outliers are immediately established. You cannot be part of us. Oh, well, we would let you, but you know God won't because we read this in Deuteronomy 23. So go away and find your own group. When someone violates God's commands intentionally and is unrepentant, they have separated themselves from the main body or the system. See, not only are they no longer part of the system, they do not want to be part of the system. Oh, and if they want to or say they do, it's only so that they can mess the system up. You see, they have become outliers by their own choice. But what about those who have been made outliers due to no specific fault of their own? See, the others who said, nope, I'm sorry, I'm done with God, I'm done with his commands, I'm done with all that. But what about those like Sarah and Hannah and Elizabeth who were barren due to no fault of their own? They were strong women of faith and their stories testify to it. Rather than seeing such things as an overall condition of our inhumanity and sin, in other words, big picture that sometimes sin affects us even though we had nothing to do with it, we tend to make it about us. We create our own laws and commands, or we randomly enforce God's laws and commands. Have you ever seen that in a church? One person sins, and they cast them out and say, how dare you, you must be gone. But somebody else sins, and they say, oh, welcome. By the way, just keep putting that big check in the offering plate, and you'll be just fine. Yeah, that's, that's part of our inhumanity. We try to make our life and our community safer or more comfortable by establishing our standards of what we think that should look like. Whether it is designating a specific spot where the lepers, the blind, and the crippled must sit and beg, instead of requiring their families to follow 1 Timothy 5.8, which says they must support their family members, or else, by the way, they are worse than unbelievers. 
or whether it's quietly gossiping about the unwed mother, abused spouse, or addicted teen, or telling a mom that she's no longer allowed to sit inside the sanctuary until her child learns not to cry anymore. We are very good at creating a place that is comfortable and perfect just for us. Now, Matthew 19 isn't usually part of our normal Sunday morning lessons, but in it, there is a big hoo-hoo about divorce, where the church, which is made up of primarily male leaders, decided based on an offhand comment by Moses that if a wife could not bear them a child, specifically a male child, within a very specific period of time, that they had every right and rule to divorce her. Now, Jesus says to them, you know, God didn't say that. And then he goes on to explain This man-made rule was created to allow men to take care of themselves and their ego, but actually was creating a group of unmarried and technically unmarriable women in the community, which was unfair to them and unfair to the community, which eventually, by the way, leads to the story of the woman at the well and the woman caught in the act of adultery, where Jesus reinforces what he said by saying, let's apply this directly to the lives that you see around you. With their whole system turned upside down and Jesus challenging their ability to do what they want to do and what they've always done, the disciples who had been listening in are aghast and they turn to Jesus and here's the quote. If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, then it's better not to marry. My paraphrase of that is, if we can't do what we want, why would we bother to do anything? Instead of directly continuing the conversation about divorce, Jesus brings in something that appears to be completely unrelated. But Jesus never is unrelated. Jesus always is putting exactly what he needs right in front of us. And here is his response. Well, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Jesus announces that outliers have a place in the church. In fact, the church should ask everyone outside the church a simple question. Why are you still out there? Before hard boundaries are drawn and people are excluded from the grace and mercy of God, you need to ask that question. Why are you still out there? Because most of the time, the answer is going to be because you, the church, put me here. Before this begins to sound like anyone can be part of the church no matter what they believe, that's not what Jesus is saying and that's not what I'm saying. Some of you have heard my rant about a particular newspaper that a few years ago did an article on the church and how it was obsolete and unnecessary and its only hope was for it to abandon its belief in sin and the virgin birth and Jesus' resurrection, heaven, hell, and other outdated doctrines. Now, by the way, I I don't think I need to tell you that if the church gives those things up, it's no longer a church, it's just a social club. That same newspaper is struggling now to keep from closing mostly because people are getting their news from technology. They run editorials and ads demanding that people keep buying newspapers. And when someone says, you know what, you need to uh, abandon your outdated thought process, they come back with, and I quote straight out of one of their articles, never. It is who we are and how you are supposed to get your news. Funny how different things are when you're the one who's affected. When someone wants to be part of the church, but does not want to believe or accept the teachings of the Bible, please note, I said believe and accept the teachings of the Bible, not believe and accept the teachings of a particular pastor or denomination. Then they really need to ask themselves, why do I want to be a member of something that I don't agree with? And there are two possible answers. Because I want the fellowship, the potlucks, or the free coffee. Yeah, not acceptable or the second one. I'm trying to figure this whole eternity thing out. 
And while I don't right now accept all these things, I'm ready to study them. And I need a place that I can trust in order to do that. Yeah, guess which one the church needs to be receptive to. A thousand years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words in the 56th chapter of his book. He said, For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Yeah, as my Baptist preacher used to say, Thus saith the Lord, wow. There is this tendency within the church to assume if our particular brand of theology, which is defined by either our particular congregation or denomination, works for us, then it should work for everyone else. If the outliers want to step into the building where we are, well, they just need to become like us. But that's not what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus made it clear it was his church, not ours. And we don't get to decide who gets to come in and who doesn't. And if we think back, how did we come to the church? Yeah, how did we get there? I doubt it was because we bought our way in, deserved it, or was so good that they issued an invitation and said, we can't be a church unless you're here. For me, I stood in front of the baptismal font. Oh yeah, see I stood there myself because I was a lot older than most people are when they get baptized in the Lutheran church. Pastor Sam poured water over me and he said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I didn't pass any tests, give blood, do a good work, or survive a crucible. One minute my forehead was dry, the next it was wet, and I had been welcomed into the church and into God's family. We all start on the outside. As Romans chapter 3 and 8 says, none of us deserve to be on the inside. And even when we by grace get inside, we get to stay here only by grace. Not because we suddenly figured out how to do everything right and we become as holy as God is. Our baptismal journey is about learning how to follow Jesus. I know that we often say things like, I'm going to become just like Jesus. That ain't going to happen. None of us have it within us to become holy, no matter how hard we try. But as we follow him, listen to him, watch him, we don't just see what he does, but we begin to learn why he does it. And to be honest, why someone does something is actually more important than what they're doing. We continually need the outlier to remind us of who we are. Yeah, we're outliers. To refresh our faith, to remind us of God's grace, to help us remember where we came from and how incredible it is that God loved us so much that he was able to bring us inside. And he allows us to stay here, not just in this life, but in heaven forever. And if that doesn't cause us to stop and ask just how great God's love must be, I don't know what will. I know the Bible says that not everyone's going to be in heaven. And I know there's a lot of people that have got a million questions about who gets in and who doesn't and why. My faith says that God knows what he's doing, and we can trust him. I know we want to get everything sorted out before we leave this earth. We want to put everybody into neat little categories so we know whether they are for us or against us. But that's not the purpose of the church. Jesus did give us the ability to speak and withhold forgiveness. But he said the only reason that we were allowed to withhold forgiveness is if someone was not repentant. There has always been this idea that we will get into heaven because of our last name or who our pastor was or where we were confirmed or our particular ethnic background or our job or a lot of other things that just aren't faith. Ephesians says we are saved by grace through faith and this is not our work, it's the gift of God. When somebody gets that, I mean really gets that, it changes their life, not just for a moment, but forever. You see, it's amazing when we begin to understand something like that because it changes not just how we see it, but how we live. 
Yeah, and for some of us, it does take quite a while. The eunuch said to Philip, I've been reading these Bible stories, and I just don't quite understand it. Can you explain it to me? And Philip said, I'm tired of walking, would love to ride in your chariot and explain things to you, even though you are a eunuch. And after some theological discussions of grace and mercy, the eunuch said, so there's some water. Is there a reason that I should not be baptized? And I'll be honest, Philip knew of at least a dozen why the eunuch should not and could not be baptized. But you know what he said? Let's head on down to the water. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.